Welcome, Anajit Sareen. It's a pleasure to have you here as part of this edition of Around the Curve at Brandywine Global. I'm Katie Klingensmith with Brandywine Global, and it's really a pleasure to be here today with Anajit, who has a, a long history of being focused on global macro research and, and currency research. He's currently a portfolio manager in the fixed income group here at Brandywine Global. So energy, there's been really a lot of discussion over the last, well, really couple of years, certainly over the last year, about how extraordinarily high the value of the U.S. dollar has become. We can you know, look at that value in a lot of different ways. I know looking at the broad um, trade-weighted uh, measure that the Fed tracks, it's um, we're really seeing the dollar at, at you know close to some historic highs. Just to get us started, what what has been driving the dollar so high? Why are we finding it at the values where it is right now? Thanks, Katie. Uh, the dollar story, which you rightly point out, is is has been underway for quite some time. I think the dollar uh, rally began back in 2010, I believe. So we're we're in the 12th year of a, of a bull market in the dollar, which is the longest bull market we've seen in the last 50 years. Uh, the driver of that story really really boils down to relative growth. It's been about U.S. exceptionalism, the technology leadership that the United States offers, uh, and related to that, a certain manufacturing renaissance as well. Uh, the prior decade when the dollar was weak uh, was largely about the U.S. adjusting to the entry of China into the WTO, and there was a significant, significant loss of manufacturing share in the United States. Um, that has reversed in part. Uh, over the last decade. But again, I would really boil it down to growth leadership coming from the technology sector. At the same time, if you think about what's happening in the rest of the world, uh, the two major areas of the world have had to deal with their own challenges. So Europe had its sovereign and banking crisis during that period. Uh, and, and China and the emerging markets uh, had to deal with the slowdown in Chinese housing and the loss of competitiveness uh, uh, among EM countries. Yes, of course, currencies are always relative. So U.S. productivity relative to other countries. Well, we started this conversation, Energy, um, at the beginning of the year, and there was clearly a major shift in the geopolitical power balance in the world. Uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, and that had some pretty clear consequences for the dollar. How, how much of the, those, of the events in Europe have really been driving the value of the dollar? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been an important factor, but I wouldn't say it's been an exclusive factor. So I, I think if, it's worth noting that the U.S. two-year yield, Treasury yield in the United States, has risen nearly 300 basis points. Fed hawkishness, uh, the Fed's willingness to raise rates quite aggressively, uh, has certainly played an important role in the dollar's performance uh, this year. Um, I'd also add that the slowing of global growth, right, after some very strong growth rates, I think there's more of a concern that growth is slowing, and central banks are still tightening uh, in the context of that slowdown. That, that's been cause for concern among risk assets and hence a flight to safety. Uh, uh, and then also, certainly, the, again, it's the relative shock story again. Europe dealing with Russia, Ukraine, China dealing with its property markets and COVID. Um, I, I think those relative stories in the U.S. not really having anything specific within uh, the, the continent uh, to, to deal with. So tell me a little bit more about the implications of that kind of relative shock um, approach. Like how, how much has the dollar gained because there was a real flight from risk across financial markets? I think it's been meaningful. I mean, it's it's still today, right? It's not entirely clear how the Russia-Ukraine story ultimately resolves. 
uh, Germany and the rest of Europe are having to still figure out how they're going to get through next winter uh, with the energy needs that they have. So there's still uncertainty about it. It's not like the war happened and it's we've moved on. There, there are underlying uncertainties, and that, that tends to support the dollar. I think in China, there's a similar dynamic at play. The property markets have been uh, struggling for quite some time, uh, and it's not entirely clear when China or if China will move in a manner to help support growth in that sector, uh, along with their COVID policy. Their zero COVID policies are also uh, quite dramatic or draconian, if you will, compared to the rest of the world. And it's unclear when that might change as well. well I, I want to come back to that kind of question about the dollar's role as the reserve currency. But but I think first back to the more basic question that you, you mentioned of the Fed and markets expectations around rates. I think typically we think about those relative rates across different countries as being a big driver for short form FX. Is, is that at the end of the day what we're talking about mostly here in terms of the dollar's strength relative to the euro and the other majors? I'd say it's been a significant factor, uh, no doubt. Um, I think going forward, that might change. I mean, the, the markets have been concerned and what has supported the dollar has been both the Fed raising interest rates, um, uh, but also uh, a concern that the Fed might drive the U.S. into a hard landing, right? That they might overstay their welcome or over tighten, if you will. Um, and that certainly uh, would be a concern and if like the quality that would support the dollar. To the extent that the Federal Reserve does back off soon and, uh, and, and the world experience is more of a soft landing, uh, then I think the market's attention, the investor's attention will shift more to other factors, not just interest rate differentials, uh, growth opportunities, um, uh, current account and balance of payments positions, other factors that I think will play a more prominent role. But you do think that if there is that bumpier landing or a true hard landing, if it's the Fed's fault or otherwise, that could be dollar positive? Yes. Yes. Interesting. Um, absolutely. So we certainly have a world where real and nominal rates are more different than they, they were. And, and there's been high inflation in the U.S. and elsewhere. And the dollar has clearly been gaining in this environment. How much um, does inflation really drive currency right now? So I think this is a really this is a really interesting question because at face value, you could certainly argue that while the Fed has been more aggressive in raising interest rates than say perhaps Europe or other developed markets, the US also has higher inflation than other countries. So from a real interest rate perspective, um, it's not entirely obvious that uh, the state of uh, policy is dollar bullish. Right. And as you know, the dollar has still performed in that environment. I think the reason for that is that real interest rates uh, are at the moment very backward looking. It has certainly been the case that inflation has, has been much higher in the United States. And so real interest rates on a trailing basis look quite low. But, but I would suggest that the state of monetary policy is much more restrictive than that would suggest. You can certainly see this in the very significant slowdown in growth rates of money supply whether you use narrow money measures or broader money measures, or just look at the overall level of bank deposit growth, it's collapsed this year. Um, and the Federal Reserve, of course, has also started quantitative tightening and is going to accelerate that process. So from a pure dollar liquidity perspective, I think policy has been tighter than what inflation and real interest rates would have suggested. So you mentioned before that the dollar has gained and could continue to gain on the back of 
geopolitical uncertainty or more of an economic shock um, for their you know, hard landing. Uh, but I've also heard you and the fixed income team talk about the danger to the dollar of weaponizing it, um, of really withholding access to reserves by countries that don't behave in a way that we're comfortable with. Yeah. How, how much is this kind of weaponization of the U.S. dollar threatening the dollar's long-term reserve currency status? Uh, that's a that's a great question, um, and I, I I would start by saying I think that narrative has merit. I mean, there's no doubt. I think that other countries uh, are paying attention to how Russia was treated in this context. And this is not uh, it's not to pass judgment on who's right or who's wrong. It's simply to observe that Russia's access to the financial system was completely cut off, led by the United States. And to the extent that the global financial system, the global payment system is still based on the dollar, um, I think it's been a, a warning shot for other countries to think about that if in the future, and I'm really thinking about China here, um, there is a you know more serious decline in, in, in the uh, bilateral relationship to the U.S., countries have to think about and anticipate that this could happen to them as well. So what do you do? You have to think about how to um, pay for goods and services with other currencies. You have to think about keeping your assets, perhaps, in other currencies that you can still access, uh, as opposed to Russia, who has lost access to some of its reserves. So I think it is a longer-term challenge for the dollar. Um, I don't think it's been a particularly big driver of the dollar this year because of the other factors we've talked about have been so much more significant in driving capital flows. But longer term, yes, I think it's an issue. Is it an issue for all developed market currencies, or is it particularly about the dollar? Uh, that's that's a fair question. I mean, the, the U.S. was able to galvanize quite a bit of the world, right, in, in support of this effort. Um, so is the euro really a different currency than the dollar when it comes to this? I think that's a, that's a fair point. I would say it's particularly a dollar issue because that's where the payments are and that's where the reserves are. So you would diversify away. Even even diversifying away from to other de developed currencies, I think is still in the interest of, of other countries to protect themselves in the event of something more more serious. Sure, that premium that the dollar has rather yeah. uniquely held. Well, you did mention at the beginning um, where we've mostly talked about the dollar relative to other developed markets, but emerging markets have their own story. And um, how how are you sort of broadly understanding the dollar's strength against EMFX? Part of it has just been, you know as you say, a, a broad dollar trend that has impacted both developed and emerging markets. I think I think the interesting thing about emerging markets, though, uh, notably uh, in the last call it six to nine months, is that there has been some differentiation. And, and that's because uh, a number of emerging markets have been far more orthodox and much more preemptive in tightening monetary policy than the Fed has. Um, so you look at interest rates today in Brazil, in Mexico, in Chile, and a number of countries, uh, they are high both in nominal and real terms versus the United States. So I think that's altered the, the forward return potential for these currencies. Um, I think also if you look over the past six to nine months, there's been a particularly strong source of support for currencies that are tied to commodities. Right? And I, uh, that to the extent that we do have a more longer term uh, bull market in commodity prices because of the lack of supply and you know, the shift to alternative energy, um, I, I think those, those currencies are also likely 
to benefit. So I, I am constructive on emerging markets uh, on a medium-term basis. I think one has to, however, still be selective in where to make that allocation. Sure. Well, let's bring this all together. Um, Anujit, you mentioned at the beginning that uh, a lot of the story driving dollar strength is really the, the relative productivity, the, the U.S. exceptionalism that has been demonstrated over the last decade. But there are a lot of different factors in play. And if if I were a dollar investor now and saw how strong the dollar was and thinking about diversifying, should I should I do it now? Should I do it later? Should I think about select DM? Should I just think about diversification? What 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 advice would you give me going forward? Yeah, I I I think where you started this conversation, Katie, is, is a good place for investors to think about, which is at the level of the dollar today is yeah. Uh, at, at an extreme, right? We are we are near the the highs of the dollar of the 2000 2002 period, uh, not quite at the highs of the 1980s cycle, uh, but these are very elevated levels. And so, if one thinks out medium to long term um, returns in markets outside the U.S., I think will benefit from a currency tailwind. So, what would I do today? I would start to invest in some of these higher yielding emerging market currencies. Uh, that have pursued, as I said before, more orthodox policies uh, in conjunction with better trade and balance of payments fundamentals. Uh, I would start there, but I would be thoughtful and careful about how much to allocate because we do we are still in the context of a slowing global economy and the Fed's still moving aggressively. And I think uh, I think one needs to become a little bit more certain about the path of global growth. I think to make a more aggressive allocation. Fair. Thank you so much, Anajit, and everybody who's listening to this edition of Around the Curve with Brandywine Global.